You now tuned into the hottest podcast in the world, the Stay Woke Podcast, right here on the SonicBreakdown.com. Man, it's time to wake up. Time to wake up. Get this cake up. Get this cake up. Only thing I care about is switching. Welcome back to another Stay Woke Podcast. This is D Ray Brinson. And you know the Stay Woke Podcast is presented by thesonicbreakdown.com. So head over there and check out our latest review or article up. And today we're going to do another Let's Talk About It segment. And, you know, if we do a Let's Talk About It segment, we're going to be interviewing somebody very interesting. And so today's person that we're going to be interviewing today is going to be the Olympian from the this year's Winter Olympics, member of the Jamaican bobsled team, Jasmine Fenerlater Victorian. So uh, uh, once again, um, so what part of New Jersey did you uh, grow up in? I grew up in North Jersey. Not many people know, but Jersey is like north, south. What exit are you on the parkway? So I'm definitely one from 157B, <laughs> uh, Way, New Jersey. Um, grew up most of my childhood there until I went to college. Did you have any uh, siblings, brothers, sisters? Yeah, I have a, a younger sister. Her name is Angelica, significantly younger. We're about nine years apart. So um, she's in her early 20s now, which is interesting for me to see. <laughs> And and how was that growing up with having a sister so far far apart? Um, well, I kind of grew up as an only child, and mm-hmm. then even when she was born, I was in a different stage of my adolescence than she was. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to look how your parents kind of soften up as time goes by, as well as understanding that tech- technology and social norms have changed, especially in, well, nine years and a decade pretty much between us so um now that we're both adults it's um it's a lot better for us to relate to different things for me to shed some light on my experiences and um as well as we can hang out a little bit more on the same playing field of what our interests are does she do sports or anything like that and she did she go down the same kind of uh athletic realm that you did or um she actually chose not to she dabbled in it a little bit she enjoyed it but um she kind of wanted to find her own thing she's very very creative um she studied at a votech school uh culinary arts um she also pretty much went all the way with cosmetology she just has to take her state test and she's done some really nice artwork uh she really enjoyed art class even though she didn't necessarily want to be an artist so she definitely has a creative edge to her which is awesome what about your parents what are your what did your what do your parents do oh my mom um she kind of dabbled in everything she didn't get a college education until my sister was about two years old in her late 30s so my mom did culinary stuff and was certified. She was certified accountant. She was really good at information systems with computers. And towards the latter part before she ended up uh, retiring, she was doing promotional items, kind of helping be that middle person between a corporation and their clients, um, finding the best promotion and marketing tools. Uh, My dad's a butcher. Um, He's always done labor trades. So in Jamaica, he was a mechanic. Um, He grew up on a farm. He's done carpentry work. And for the last 
I want to say for sure 25 years, if not more, he's been a butcher in New Jersey and probably one of the best for the company he works for. But um, he likes to not have the pressure of doing management and just go to work and come home. So, <laughs> no, that's And that's understandable. Um, are both your parents yeah. from Jamaica? No, just my father okay. is. My mom um, is European descent. So okay. actually her grandmother immigrated to the United States when she was young. Okay. What were some of your passions um, as as a youth? in high school and things or some of the things that you did like to get into outside of uh, sports and athletics? Um, I actually really wasn't introduced to me personally doing athletics until high school. Okay. I was really into music and more of the liberal arts scene. And my first activity was dance school. <laughs> um, about the time I turned five, maybe a little bit before. And I became very, very competitive in it. Uh, traveled all across America for national competitions, did tryouts for Broadway, for commercials, for movies, and that was kind of my thing. I wanted to write our congressmen and tell them that they should fight for dance to be in the Olympics because rhythmic gymnastics and gymnastics were, so why couldn't dance be considered a sport? Um, and that's kind of <laughs> how I fell in that line, or that mentality, I guess, of the Olympics and um, athletics, that route. Gotcha. And uh, so that would, that to me would seem that would give you and your sister something to kind of bond over, that, uh, that creative, that... Um... Yeah, for sure. My undergrad, uh, my bachelor's degree is in graphic design and advertising. So um, I definitely, and I was, I, when she was dabbling into her art side um, and experimenting, I was also taking some art classes in college. So we definitely have um, that mind of creativity and uh, kind of searching which is the best way to express it for both of us as well as we're willing to try new and different things as well so and you said like you said you started uh the sports scene in in high school what was kind of the the impetus behind that what pushed you in that direction um so my i couldn't i had to stop taking dance classes at such a high level because my mom lost her job um, because she didn't have a college education. So at the time, the governor, as well as I believe it was President Clinton, kind of had a thing for uh, people that were older looking to get educated from associates to their bachelors. If they went to a county school, basically the government would pay for it and they would just have to pay for their books or extracurricular. So my mom basically was like, okay, I think it's time been kind of fighting this system for a while of not having education always being the first one to be laid off even though I'm the best at my job all because of a piece of paper so she obviously college tuition and bills and things are much more of a priority than dance classes and that was about the time I was in middle school transitioning to high school so I decided to take my dance skills to the gymnastics team because I could do some backflips and some cool stuff as well. <laughs> and one of my really good friends uh, was on the gymnastics team, so she was like, yeah, I'm going to talk to the coach, no problem. Did that, and in gym class, or physical education if you want to be politically correct, <laughs> <laughs> my teacher at the time, Mr. Bannett, who I still talk to and is still at my high school, uh, he was teaching freshman 
physical phys ed class and it was kind of like a smorgasbord for the first semester you kind of introduced different sports every two weeks so for two weeks we did baseball two weeks we did this sport two weeks we did this kind of just to give those kids that weren't really exposed to athletics and different things just a well-rounded view mm-hmm. and track and field was on there so I threw the shot put farther than him I bruised his ego and he told me to come out for the track team um and so i wanted to stay active and my friend that was in gymnastics went, was doing track as well so i said oh sure why not i'll always have a ride home i'll have some friends to do it with and i actually didn't compete not once my whole freshman year oh, wow. in track until like very very late in the outdoor season and i broke the school record so oh, wow. <laughs> from then on i they were pursuing me to quit dance and quit dance uh the dance club and gymnastics and just be a track athlete and it took me about two more years to take it seriously um and see that i could have a college scholarship for it and uh my direction of dreaming to go to the olympics changed to track and was what was the what was the thing that made you get serious was it the the prospect of going to the olympics the prospect of how good you were at it or was it just that dance was further away from from grasp than this was? Um, I'd have to give it to my coaches slash teachers at Wayne Valley High School um, who are still there. Um, Mr. Bandit, uh, Mr. Slater, and um, a few of the others that were all um, pretty much coaxed nonchalantly having conversation with me wanted to know where my direction was and why I was part of the team and what I wanted to do and I was like well I want to go to college but it's expensive I need a scholarship for sure and academics is so competitive these days it doesn't matter if you have you know a 4.0 GPA or this it's all about your extracurricular so they um kind of said well what about track that could be an avenue for you and they kind of pointed out that if you're capable of qualifying for some major comp, like major track meets and hitting these um, kind of elite standards and you're not 100% in track, imagine what you could be if you hyper-focused more on track and on this direction and put all your eggs in one basket because spreading it out makes you well-rounded, but at the same time, you have a real shot at doing something special. So um, that's kind of what persuaded me to more focus on track, as well as they said, you you always talk about the Olympics, and this would, you're not going to go to the Olympics for dance or gymnastics because you're five foot nine and well past the gymnastics <laughs> size. <laughs> um, so uh, that's kind of what pushed me in that direction. And their support, you know, like whatever you decide, that's all well and good. But, you know, we see a lot of potential in you and we would hate for this potential to be wasted. I got you. So I'm um, a master of one instead of a jack of all trades. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> what about your experience at Ryder? around the university for track. How was that experience transitioning from high school to, to college? I was really interesting. Um, I went, the town I grew up in is fairly diverse, but at the same time, it's, it's not diverse. It's very cookie cutter. It's a very upscale town. You know, like I was going to school with, uh, in a, in my parents' car that was like, 
you got to hand roll the windows up. <laughs> Sometimes you have to, you know, you got to like tweak the antenna to get the radio working and different things. And kids senior year were driving up in a brand new Cobra or um, even a Mercedes or BMW or Escalade. And that just was not how I grew up. <laughs> I was on the other side of town or on the other side of the tracks, as you can say. Um, so as much as that town has a lot of diversity of, you know, the, especially um, over the past almost 20 years now, because I, yeah, I graduated in 2003. So almost 20 years now, 15 for sure. Kids are, and their families are kind of immigrating from the big city lifestyle, especially New York, Philadelphia, and kind of using New Jersey as that suburb feel, but it's close to the city. So now our towns are a little bit more diverse and even more overpopulated <laughs> for a suburb. Um, and when I went to college, it was way more diverse. You know, when I graduated high school, my graduating class, there was only three of us that were, were black and two of us were mixed and one was all black. So <laughs> now I go to, co now I go to college and I'm walking to my classes and I'm like, man, one in one of us is black. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. A, a um, totally different experience. Yeah. So I think, um, going, going to school, it was a very similar feel of the town I grew up in. Um, it was on in the southern area, so it was closer to Philadelphia, so I had a little bit different culture of North Jersey versus South Jersey, um, and it was diverse. But I'd say not much change except for opening. Like, I appreciated that my I could have had a, a car on campus if, if I had one freshman year. My parents were like, nope, every other university that you apply to, freshmen aren't allowed to have cars on campus. You know, we want you to stick in it. If you need to go somewhere, there's bus money, there's trains, there's this, there's this, but you need to engulf yourself into the the environment you're in and, and not be able to just, like, escape. Mm. You know, you kind of have to grow up. So immerse I appreciated yourself in that. It. Yeah, immerse yourself in the, yeah. in the whole experience. Yeah, and so I appreciated that, and um, it opened me up to living with lots and lots of different types of people having different being exposed to those different cultures and how we all kind of get along together do you think that experience helped prepare you for your your experience of culture melding um at the olympics um i think that experience helped me for when i moved on in my athletic career um okay. and being I mean, you're you're put in close quarters for months at a time away from home, so you have to share a bathroom, you have to share a living space. Um, not all of your teammates are going to like the same music as you. Not everyone likes the same food. Some people are very vanilla, as mm -hmm. I call it, you know, potatoes, meat, salt, pepper. I'm a person, I'm like, I like some curry, some hot sauce, yeah. give me some coconut <laughs> milk. You know, like, Mix I like Mix it up flavor. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but it, it allows you to kind of, it helped me to understand, and as well as it's it's a platform to educate people. People are so used to vanilla, or they're so used to this, and then they may meet you, who's kind of both spectrums mixed together, and often hard for people to understand how that's possible. 
and you expose them to different different things culturally. Um, you know, I just think that makes the world a better place, more tolerance, more acceptance. Um, sh- shoot, ho- hopefully someone met me one day and was like, oh, so I could do this too, or this isn't just for the, these type of people. No, nothing is just for these type of people. So um, I think that's, it helped me also um, be able to speak more about it as I got to the Olympic Games and the values behind it. Okay. And and what was what was uh, the decision behind switching from track to bobsled? Um, that wasn't really planned in <laughs> any means, actually. <laughs> um, I spent my whole collegiate career um, with a long term and a short term plan of goals and where I wanted to go, and the idea to be an Olympic track and field athlete, especially um, field events. Until recently, haven't really been known as well for. Um, black people to excel at, especially the throwing events. Um, so sh- shout out to those athletes who have made history in the last two Olympics by meddling. Um, that's amazing because it's usually predominantly been European owns with the records and the medals. So that was a goal of mine, and my coach knew it. Um, but someone approached him saying, hey, maybe um, Jazz would be good at bobsled um i've heard track and field athletes cross over when i was an athlete i went to a tryout and she's far better than me so maybe you should look into it um my my coach at the time coach pascarello has a very um awesome sense of humor so i thought he brought it up just to make fun of me uh for cool runnings um (laughs) and kind of brushed it aside And then he said, no, no, like, take me seriously. I'd really like for you to research it. Here's some of the information. Um, He asked me if I researched. I said, yes. Mm. And then he said, what are your thoughts? And I'm like, well, I'm working on NCAAs here. I have job interviews coming up because my goal is to also have a job by the time I graduate in the next few months. I said, it's all well and good. But, and he's like, well, I already put an athletic resume in for you, so you should hear back from the national team soon. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) Um, So I went to a tryout. Um, I actually couldn't go. We tried to organize it around my track meets, but obviously I'm on a scholarship, and these are immediate goals, um, and risking injury to do something like that wasn't on our agenda. So I just emailed them saying to keep me in mind in the future. Actually got a job with Johnson and Johnson before graduation signed for my start date to be early September so that I could finally have a summer to myself and hang out find a place to live all that good stuff and I'd say mid-August early to mid-August the national bobsled team for USA asked me to come to a tryout that was literally right before my first day at work so everyone <laughs> was like this is a sign this is a sign like you should go you get back from the tryout the ninth your first day of work is the 10th this is perfect <laughs> um so of course you know with my mom's support she was like you don't want to ever say woulda coulda shoulda like if it you go it doesn't work out it's not what you're up for you're not the athlete they're looking for that's no harm done for you at least you went and you tried versus if you never go and then you're sitting four years later seeing girls that you beat in track and field or something in the olympics you're gonna think back so 
Yeah, you don't want to live with regret. Yeah. Yeah, so I went. They asked me to come back, and pretty much that's history. I never left the sport since 2007. And so how was that for you as a just as an athlete, of a track athlete, of just transitioning from – the from being on the track to to being on the ice um to be honest the whole ice thing and running on ice you have spikes that kind of grip just like track spikes so mm. it's not like the movie when you're watching cool running yeah. and all of a sudden <laughs> they're they're basically running in sneakers on ice which is not what we do so uh <laughs> the transition that way is not um steep or anything or very different what it is is climatizing you're so used to warming up indoors or in warm weather and now everything is blue collar and bobsled there is no indoor facility if it's minus 30 for the race you are outside warming up in minus 30 with a face mask on looking like an eskimo um we do everything manually ourselves so if the sled needs to be moved to the line it's you and your teammates moving the sled there's no nascar pit crew where you just say chop chop guys i'm going off at this time my stuff needs to be ready by this time like it's all you so um you know i i thought about track and field the amount of hours and training that go in for i don't know 30 seconds inside a hammer circle or sometimes 15 seconds for what people you know sprint or run in or which include <laughs> setting up blocks and then I really realized how much time goes into something for <laughs> one minute on ice. And it can be 16-hour days by the time you're working on your equipment. Um, you're the mechanic. You're doing all of that. Plus, you, as a pilot, I have to study the track. At the time, I wasn't a pilot. I, I started off as a brakeman, but okay, that's what I, I have to learn. That was one of the things I was wondering is, like, that's that aspect of it as well as being the pilot, like, that's something you don't have to think about necessarily in track. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know where to go. <laughs> you just go. Yeah, so even even transitioning to a pilot, whether you start right away or not, all the basics of bobsled, mm-hmm. you still have to learn. So it, it works out if you can be a brakeman at least for a year to learn the equipment, learn how to take care of it, travel to different bobsled tracks and not have that pressure in conjunction while you're learning all of that of making it down safely and memorizing the tracks so i started driving uh three years into the sport so i was already traveled around the north american tracks i already kind of knew which way the corners went right left um i already knew the basics of the equipment and how to take care of it and prepare um so when i started driving it was a different a whole nother learning curve but i didn't also have to learn the sport itself bobsleigh what what kept you going on uh, to after you made that transition when you hit those tough difficult times especially you know after you done track for so long where you already knew you know you already knew the sport to now going to a new sport where you have to learn it all over again what was what was your driving your driving force or your driving uh, motivating factor um, to be honest I think at that time of my career it was the Olympics. I started bobsleigh in the 2007-2008 season, and the Olympics were in Vancouver, which is as close to home field advantage as we could get um, Mm. in 2010. So the turnaround was not so far away. Um, 
Team USA women just came off of a silver medal, and we had a lot of promising athletes, uh, pilots. So I think that driving force of the Olympic movement, that Olympic dream, what it means, representing your country, representing your family, your friends, and pushing yourself. I'm extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. I like to try different things, and I hate when people say it's not possible or it can't be done. So <laughs> it was easy for me when people said, man, you're crazy, for that to just be 10 times more motivation. And then what led to the switch from Team USA to Team Jamaica? So I didn't make the 2010 games, and that's when I transitioned to being a pilot, and I put in my long-term goals that I will be in Sochi, um, which I was. So I represented USA in the Sochi Olympics. Mm -hmm. So after those Olympics, I kind of went through... um, a lot of people don't really talk about it, and I was I was warned that it would happen. You kind of go through depression, like a down space, because you've worked, especially after your first games, you've worked so hard. Usually for most people, it's not like this Olympic dream just came to them. They've had this um, desire for most of their, their life, yeah. so it seems, or most of their life while being doing sports. So... If it's not been your whole life, it's been pretty much your whole athletic career that you've been eyeing the Olympics or pushing towards them or training for them. And you get there, and in two weeks, you're, like, on this amazing high, oh, taking pictures, opening ceremony. It doesn't matter if you win a gold medal and get the world record or you come in dead last. After the games, it was two weeks. It's like you fly home, and now what? man, do I want to train another four years for this? What do I do? I got bills to pay, especially winter sports. Winter sports are not like summer sports where a lot of these athletes are already professionals. So when they go home, they already know they have some type of security in their professional state of the sport. You come home from bobsleigh and there's no professional income coming in, like, oh, the season's done, no more health insurance, no more income, no more <laughs> stipend. You could fall off the face of the earth. It wouldn't even matter. So um, I kind of was in a place of what does this all mean? What do I want to do? Do I want to keep going four years? I wasn't really happy with my performance, which was kind of digging at me a little bit. And... I kind of was in this middle space of, you know what, I'm going to take it day by day. Mm. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to train for the next season. I, my main goal for the next season with USA, because uh, I still was training with them, um, and on that team was to have fun and yeah. to remember why I love the sport and why I pushed so hard. And if that ends up being my last season, I'll go out with a bang my way, and it doesn't really matter the performance. Although I'm competitive and I want a good performance, I'm not going to let that define my career. Uh, That's when I met my husband, and it ended up being my best season. I was third overall in the World Cup, sixth at World Championship, top four every race. Um, Was really, really great. So coming off of not not my best performance at the Games, even though to say 11th place isn't good at the Olympics is... um, 
<laughs> no one should say that. Yeah, that's what I said. If you were at the, if you, you made it. <laughs> in my opinion, yeah. If you went to the Olympics and you competed and you gave it your all, it, it is what it is. It doesn't matter the place. There's only three spots for medals. That doesn't mean everyone under that didn't have their own battle. You know, so uh, I put that into perspective as well. And even though I was having this great, um, these great results, my husband was kind of like, something's missing. Like, what do you want to do? Like, why are you still bobsledding? You accomplished everything. I'm like, nah, I didn't get a medal. And he's like, yeah, but is that, like, really what's going to make the difference for you? And I was like, no. I mean, if you can't be who you are without it, like, what does it matter if you have it? So he said, okay, so, like, what do you want to do while still bobsledding or with bobsled? Like, what is your legacy? And I started thinking about it, and I said, you know, we need more participation in this sport for women. We need more diversity, and it shouldn't be, oh, this is bobsleigh, so it's just a European sport, basically like a white person sport with money from Europe. That's not how it should be. It's an Olympic event. That means it's accessible and can be accessible to, to the whoever world. wants to do it. Um, so that's when he kind of was like, have you ever talked to Jamaica going back home? And I said, oh, they asked me when I was going for my first Olympics in 2010 if I would come out. But at the time, I was in a development program with Team USA. They had a structured program. Things were set up. And I didn't feel that I was at the level of knowledge in the sport to do something from the ground up. So um, we decided not to. And he goes, well, I think you should consider it or think about it. And I did, and I sat on it, and I sat on it, trained all summer, basically. And then I emailed a good friend, uh, the president of the federation, and said, hey, remember that time you guys, like, asked me if I would come home to Team Jamaica? Is that still on the table? I know you guys may have gone in a different direction, or the season is approaching, so whatever funding you have is already, you know, designated to athletes that have been there. But I'd really like to do this if it's still available and of course with open arms they didn't even blink yeah they were interested in doing a women's program and Mm. the president uh of the federation mr chris stokes his daughter uh natalia tally we call her (laughs) was actually doing some driving schools and sliding here and there um but she was also in university so to do it full time as well as um she didn't really grow up in athletics. She grew up around it, mm. but she was more of a swimmer. <laughs> okay. um, it was going to take some time to develop. So when I came, I said, I'm serious about this. I'm a full-time bobsledder. So what do we need to do to kickstart this women's program? Because it is going to be 30 years after the original team. Mm. And it's important to show our progress as a nation. Um and we've worked, you know, throughout the years with a lot of hardships, but we we can do something special. And how do you how do you think the reception for for what you're trying to do and what they're trying to do was? Um, you know, I think we're well. Clearly, we were on the same page <laughs> <laughs> because uh, it ended up working out. You know, we as Jamaicans don't really sugarcoat anything. Uh, we're going to tell you straight up. So if it wasn't something that was in their line of interest mm-hmm. at the at the moment, they would have said, no, 
we're cool with just a men's team. That's our legacy. That's our vibe. But I also know that wasn't the case because they approached me long ago asking if I would come back home to Jamaica. So uh, yeah. I knew that it was a possibility. It was just a matter of funds, um, finding break vid. I knew it was going to be a struggle. We're a small nation team that really is only known for, you know, track and field, football, uh, and cricket, mm. you know, for popularity's sake and, and success. And businesses, when you're from a tropical nation, <laughs> it's hard to advertise using bobsleigh when you don't experience any of that climate. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, 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 that is a hard sell. What do you think about your experience um, with the U.S. team versus your experience with J the Jamaican team? <laughs> you know what's funny is um, I was trying to describe to someone basically the difference and it didn't matter it doesn't matter what team you're on whether you're from a, a large nation team a small nation team big budget team small budget team you're gonna have some of the same issues mm. um but the difference is is uh think of the fresh prince of bel-air like he grew up in philly <laughs> not with money kind of you know super creative if you don't got it you make it or you find a way and that's team jamaica but like bel-air with <laughs> his uncle that's team usa you know what i mean and mm -hmm. some of their hardships that they were facing as a bullet um, being of a black family in bel-air is not something that will like being from philly would ever really understand because he's looking at them like i see you have a six thousand square foot house like five cars i don't understand why why not getting into this club at school is really hurting your feelings you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um i would say those are the differences you know team usa has its own issues because it's one of the only teams that has no federal backing for the olympics it's all privately funded it's all from the usoc doing private getting private donations or linking with sponsorships privately. Nothing comes from the government, no health insurance, no support, no athlete program through the government. And that's one of the hardships as Team USA has to face compared to Team Germany, Team Canada, and other big nations um, that have financial support. On the other side, you know, on Team USA, we're real quick to say, oh, we need a physio. We don't have a physio. We only have a chiropractor. And on Team Jamaica, we're just trying to be able to go to the doctor if we get sick, you know? Mm. <laughs> so so there's um, sometimes there's bigger, we got bigger fish to fry than what other teams might complain about or feel like they need. And I will say I grew up more like the like my team being on team Jamaica so it wasn't anything new to me it wasn't anything of a shock it wasn't um difficult in the sense to transition from that team to that team what I wanted to do is bring my knowledge of being with a large team being successful being at the Sochi Olympics to my teammates who have haven't had that experience and see what I could do within our team process as team Jamaica to help make it more um, accurate, more fluid, more competitive. Um, and at the end of the day, if that's, you know, all that I brought to the team and ended up not qualifying for the game, that to me was still a win for the progress of us as a nation. 
I want to touch on a little bit more about the the diversity at the in the games, especially in in bobsledding. Um, what was your experience with the diversity? Um, it's you know someone actually wrote to me and said I was racist based on my comments I made in a um, press conference at the Pyeongchang Olympics about representation and seeing people that look like me. And I think what they don't understand, and I'm not going to fault them for their own ignorance, is that when it's not about white or black or this or that and choosing a side because I'm mixed and I've never been brought up to choose on this part of myself or only this part. I've always been raised and taught to encompass everything of my uniqueness. Um, and it's interesting enough that on Team USA, you, we have a, a mixed team. You know, people come from, have come from Hawaii, people come from the north, the south, dark skin, light skin, brown, orange, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> on our team. Um, but in general, what it's, it's a, it's a different sense. Like Team Jamaica, we have Chinese Jamaicans, we have Japanese Jamaicans, we have Indian Jamaicans, and not once on our island do people say, oh, I'm from Indian descent. If you're a Jamaican, you're a Jamaican, period. And that's the difference of being on Team Jamaica as a nation is, yeah, we have diversity. Uh, we're a melting pot. In fact, our on our... Um, uh, on our country crest, our shield, it says, out of many, we are one people. And we truly embody that. We are Jamaican, period. There's no, I'm half this, I'm half that, or I'm this, or I'm that. You're just Jamaican. Where it's very different, you know, when you come from or you grow up in the United States. You're Japanese American, you're African American, you're Mexican American. Um, and, and that was something that. I was looking for as well as um, thought that it was such a great thing and movement that it should be pushed more internationally you know the Olympic Games for two weeks we aren't yeah we're representing our countries we're representing where we come from and who we are but at the same time we're all athletes we're just athletes trying to compete and be the best possible for two weeks embracing all different sides of what athleticism is and where all the athletes come from. Because again, the, the idea of understanding how it felt with the Jamaican team versus the U.S. team, you only can know that through hindsight. But did you feel like you noticed the lack of universal diversity when you were on at the Sochi Olympics in 2014? Yeah, what was interesting is when I was at the Sochi Olympics, those were stated obviously it was prior to Pyeongchang, that those were stated to be one of the most diverse Winter Olympics in the history of the Winter Olympics, let alone so with Team USA, specifically the women's bobsled team, brought in some of the majority of the diversity because out of six athletes, five of us were um, diverse outside of the norm mm. or outside of, quote, what someone would say the majority is Caucasian. Um, so we spoke a lot about it at those Sochi games. But what's funny to me is going into Pyeongchang, although it said it was one of the most diverse Olympic games, on the contrary, Team USA at that point was the least diverse it's been in an Olympic Games in a very long time. 
um, and that was interesting to me uh, to see that and, and hear about that. But um, going around these games when you're with a small nation, I saw Team Togo. I saw Team Ghana. I saw Team Nigeria. Mm. I saw Team Colombia. Um, all during the opening ceremonies, and I was so excited, so excited. It did, I saw Team Tonga, which, uh, you know, my husband's Polynesian, so that was amazing for me to see. Uh, two years ago, I just saw that athlete walk into the opening ceremonies in Rio, and because he wanted so hard to to prove to do that he could do winter sports and do that for his nation, two years later, he literally made it the last race of the cutoff to go to Pyeongchang, um, and he's wearing, again, it didn't matter that it was minus 30 degrees out, he wore his traditional Tonga outfit mm-hmm. and represented his culture in the opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies. So um, seeing all of those things was really, really awesome with Pyeongchang and seeing how Korea and uh, eventually the rest of the world um, embraced all of that, especially when you're trading pins. Pins is like trading money. <laughs> so at the Olympics, so when you have like a Jamaica bobsleigh pin, that's a hot commodity, um, and everyone wants one. And when you're from a small, rare nation, because who knows, maybe Team Colombia won't have someone represented at the next games. It's no guarantee. So it tends to be a hot commodity. It's not like a Team Norway or. Sweden, Team Germany, or Team Canada, where you know, like, yep, they're going every winter because they have, you know, winter sports um, delegation and history to, of it. I, I think that is amazing. Those moments are great to see. How do you think that affects uh, society to, to be able to see those moments? And do you also think that those moments will continue moving forward? Um, it was, I think... I think the press did a great job um, as best that they could because I know also the media, you look for drama. That's what sells. That's what gives you ratings. And the past two Olympics, there hasn't really been significant drama, which, you know, for us as athletes is amazing because then we get to focus on doing the job that we're there to focus on. Um, But I think they did a really good job these Olympics, um, and I can only speak from my experience and the venue and the, the village that I was staying at, um, of exposing a lot of the positives. You know, Team Nigeria is one of the, um, and Team Ghana, uh, for for the sliding sports, it's the first time that the African continent was represented, and that's huge. That is so huge, especially, um, you know, bobsled is a very, very old sport it was um, originated in switzerland and and now you have two different countries in africa that are exposed to bobsled and skeleton now um, and they're holding testing camps so i think overall you know the experience in getting that positive publicity really showed um one it shows the support of people who come from that descent but weren't born in the country so you have your the people in the U.S. and Canada, even in the U.K. that are Nigerian or got from Ghana or even Jamaican, and they're like, oh, my gosh, big up, like, great to see my people out there. And then they start to think and have a tie and feel like they don't always have to choose, mm-hmm. you know, based on the country they're in versus their heritage. You can, you can encompass both. Um, 
in fact, the, the Ghana athlete, a good friend of mine, a quasi, he grew up a lot of his life and schooling in the, in the Netherlands. And he always gives back to the Netherlands, even though he's not Dutch. He considers himself Dutch. A lot of the people consider him Dutch. Um, and although he was uh, representing Team Ghana, his, his birthplace and his home, he also you know, paid tribute to the Dutch for their support and for helping raise him. And I think that was pretty cool as well and, and should open people's eyes to it, it takes a village, right? And mm-hmm. nowadays your village isn't just in one place. Um, your village is across different borders and you don't have to pick and choose because there's a border there. You can just be who you are. What do you think that your your imprint on both games and as well as in the sport uh, for for young bobsledders coming up, other women of color that might not have seen uh, that as as a, a sport that they could even attain to now that they see someone like you um, that, that did make the transition um, into that sport. What do you think? How do you think about what? What does that bring to mind for you? Yeah, I think um, especially being a female, a black female and representing two countries um, in a sport where I think the percentage of people who could make it to the Olympics, there was a post about it is point zero zero one percent in the world. Wow. I definitely defied some odds, <laughs> <laughs> not by going once, but by going twice and by representing two completely different countries, one that's tropical and one that has a history in winter sports. But I guess the main thing for me, and, and I've always talked about it before Sochi, after Sochi, at Pyeongchang, is our, the world gets confused and this is a generic statement, when they can't compartmentalize or put people in or things in boxes. You know, it's either black or it's white. Or if it's gray, it goes all the way over here and it's considered gray. But in between those three colors, especially if you're into the artistic (laughs) side or have knowledge, there's different degrees of those shades completely. And my main thing is I... I'm going to like and listen to rap music, but that doesn't mean I don't listen to classical. So that doesn't mean I'm this type of person only. Mm-hmm. And um, once we are okay with being our true self and expressing our true self, um, we're helping to educate other people in, in understanding that it's okay to be different things and not just be one thing or be a label. You don't have to have any label on yourself. Um, if you like this music at this time, you like this music. If you like this music at that time, you like that music. I was a a summer sport athlete that transitioned to winter. I'm just an athlete. It doesn't mean that (laughs) I have to choose, oh, now you're a winter athlete. You can't like summer sports anymore. Go to the Summer Olympics. And I think that's what's important is knowing that you're not defined by your circumstances, but you create your own definition of who you are. And if you don't want a definition, you don't have to have one. And that the sky is the limit just because you grew up in South Florida or you grew up in the Conga, you still have the same percentage of opportunity as long as you fight for it to go to the Winter Olympics. You still can be that point zero zero one percent if you so choose to be. Well said. Well said. What is the goals now after Pyeongchang? Well, my husband transitioned from bobsleigh to skeleton. Um, during this season. So he is looking to train for the Beijing 2022 games. 
Um, so when I came back, I actually flew straight to him after being apart for a little bit and supported him on his last training and club racing of the season. And now I have some projects uh, non-related to bobsleigh that are in the works and trying to kind of figure some of those out. And I haven't 100% decided. Um, of course, I'm still competitive and have a competitive edge. And soon, probably by the end of this week, I will start doing some physical training <laughs> again. But I haven't decided exactly the scope of that. Uh, I'm just taking it day by day for now. And, you know, when you train for the Olympics, you put a lot of things on hold. Mm -hmm. Um and you charge a lot of things on your credit card, which that needs to be paid. <laughs> so uh, I'm searching on a balance of ways for, you know, that would be best for both my husband and I to continue doing sport. Um, and if not, what other avenues that I'd like to pursue, they are still an option for me. Gotcha. So just day by day. <laughs> I got you. And uh, before we get out of here, I want to say first, I want to say thank you very much for, for the interview. Like I said, I, I think what you're doing and, and what you have done um, is eye-opening for the world. And it does show that, uh, you know, that, that women of color in particular, especially black women, that, like you said, the fact that you defied those odds shows that, you know, we're not the stereotypes that everybody, that, that the world wants to put on, on, on black people. I think it's important for us to remember that we don't have to always do the oh poor me card. We just mm -hmm. have to create it for ourselves. And when we don't feel like we're valued or we're not getting equality, then, you know, that's, that's why we have some of the best entrepreneurs, um, black owned businesses, um, specializing in some amazing things because, you know, what you were doing wasn't working out for you, but that doesn't mean you can't create it for yourself. Exactly. And you, but, but at the same time as well, we have to remember that just like you said, you have to put in that work and be able to overcome those trials that you're going to come up with. Because just like you hit those trials and, and tribulations, and there were some setbacks that even changed the path that you took, um, and and still got you to a, a great place. So we have to be aware of those trials and tribulations and be able to adapt as well. Um, I think that's another a key point uh, that I that I picked up from your journey is uh, adaption. Mm -hmm. And like I said, just the fact of just seeing the diversity, I think, is important. Um, uh, if you can't see, it's it's easier to attain something once you see it. And uh, for you to be to, to to break those barriers down for other, like I said, young kids to look up at that and say, "Hey, I can I can do that now. I can be that uh, that extremely small percentage that makes it to the Winter Olympics, even if I come from a climate that doesn't necessarily uh, highlight or." Uh, is ad advantageous for that sport correct yeah well said thank you <laughs> no it was problem. a pleasure chatting with you and thanks for sharing my story and let me talk to all your um, followers and listeners well thank you and uh again it was a pleasure to to have this interview with olympian two-time olympian jasmine fenelator victorian this is Jasmine Fenlater, Victorian, two-time Winter Olympian women's bobsleigh, and thank you for listening to the Stay Woke Podcast.